Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard, located here in Payson, Utah at Orchard Hills Bible Church. Thanks for joining me today. Continuing along in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Come Follow Me schedule, today that brings us to Luke chapter 11. Each week there are many passages we could choose because there are multiple passages each week that are on the schedule. For example, this week it's not just Luke 11, it's Matthew 11 and 12 in addition to Luke 11. But uh, Luke 11 is where we will be. Also, it has come to my attention, no one has mentioned it, I just noticed, that through this series so far this year, we haven't had Mark the Gospel of Mark, be one of the main passages that we've looked at so far. Uh, We've had passages from John and Matthew and Luke be main passages, but we haven't done one from Mark, and that's not intentional. I'm not trying to avoid the book of Mark. But as I was thinking, you know, this is a good opportunity for me to plug the Gospel of Mark series that one of our adult Sunday school classes is going through. Uh, Tyler Woodhead, the other pastor here at our church, is leading that study. And you can go to our YouTube channel or our podcast feed, and you can find a verse-by-verse teaching through all of the Gospel of Mark as he's going through it. I think right now they're in chapter 6. Yeah, I think chapter 6 is where they are. So if you're just really wanting some Gospel of Mark, or if you're just wanting a more in-depth, verse-by-verse study through anything, that is one place you could go. So head o- head on over to YouTube, search for Orchard Hills Bible Church. Uh, you can see his PowerPoint slides and stuff that way. Or you can just go to the RSS feed and look for the episodes that are about the Gospel of Mark. So just FYI, that exists. Okay? Well, Luke 11 is where we will be today, where we see Jesus rebuking the religious people. What an interesting thing, right? Uh, You bring that idea up to some people, and it's like, why would Jesus ever rebuke religious people? Doesn't God love all religious people? If people are, you know, seeking to do something for God, doesn't he accept them? Why, Why would Jesus rebuke them? Why wouldn't he just accept them? Well, that's because the vast majority of religious people, God rejects. That could be a really difficult pill to swallow, uh, perhaps, like literally in life, you have trouble swallowing pills. <laughs> I I did for a long time, uh, where it's just like, oh man, if it's over, you know, like the size of a pea, I don't think I can swallow it. You know, I I just really struggled with that for most of my life. But I've gotten better, and uh, I can now take big multivitamins. I'm so so proud of myself. Pat myself on the back. <laughs> well, this metaphorically may be a big pill to swallow. The vast majority of religious people, God rejects because he doesn't accept any kind of worship or religious action or profession of faith that is not rooted in truth and sincerity. Paul said uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that the goal of his ministry was uh, sincerity from a good conscience. And um, that has to be rooted in the truth. People can be sincere, yet they may be sincerely wrong. People may have truth and and have the actual factual truth, but then not have sincerity, true, genuine faith. So you have to have both. You can't just have one or the other. Therefore, when you take that into account and you look at the 
vast array of world religions and religious movements that exist, you have to come to the conclusion that God's going to be rejecting a lot of people who called themselves religious in life. And that's not me sitting back saying, man, I'm so much better than them. They are just terrible people going to burn in hell for eternity. See you later. That's not it. No, I'm just saying this is the reality. And uh, therefore, I mean, recognizing this, that God is holy, he is just, that God requires that someone truly believe and that someone truly believe truth, recognizing all of this, we should make it our top priority to not only have the truth and not only be sincere, but to be sincerely rooted in the truth. And that's going to come up in our passage today as Jesus rebukes these Pharisees and lawyers, the text says, but you could think of them as law experts. Okay, so you got Pharisees and law experts. And I'm just going to read the extended passage and then give you some of my thoughts. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 37. It says, Now when he had spoken, Jesus, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went in and reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremoniously washed, or ceremonially, rather, washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. One of the lawyers said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. (laughs) But Jesus said, Woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers, because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some they will persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. 
Wow. <clears throat> Interesting, they, they think they can catch him in something that he might say when quite clearly Jesus sets them up over and over again. <laughs> when he didn't ceremonially wash his hands before the meal, you think he understood what he was doing and that he was kind of leading them into a conversation? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd sure say so. But still, they think they're going to catch him in something. We're going to catch you, Jesus, and then, you know, you're going to be on the front of all the newspapers. Everyone's going to know that you're just a hypocrite and the worst. They did not have sincerity, did they? They had a lot of truth, but they did not have sincerity. As we consider how Jesus rebukes the religious people of his day, we do well to remember something that Randy Alcorn has said, that, uh, and this is a rough uh, paraphrase, but he says something like, Jesus was most hostile toward those whose religion was most like his own or whose beliefs were most like his own. So they had a lot of truth. Jesus could affirm so much of what they believed on paper. Like if they had a doctrinal statement, these Pharisees and law experts, Jesus could affirm a lot of it. Obviously not all of it because they added things to it, but he could affirm a lot of it. Yet here he is blowing them up like no one else. He, he doesn't rebuke anybody this harshly. Why is that? Well, it's because even though there was truth, there was not godly sincerity, and so they were receiving an even stricter judgment that was resulting in uh, condemnation for them. Not, you know, well, you're still going to get in, you know, to this kingdom program, but with a slap on the wrist... That's not how Jesus is talking here, is it? He's talking to them like they are children of death, that they are truly, utterly condemned. All right, well, let's, uh, let's consider a couple of things and uh, then get back into the text here. Who were the Pharisees and the law experts? Well, lawyers, law experts, that kind of says it, doesn't it? That they were really focused on the law in the Old Testament, which is good. They had to be. Uh, God gave them the law at Sinai, starting with the Ten Commandments, and this was the governing factor for Israel. The nation of Israel had as their constitution and their revelation from God that was to govern every area of their life. This law that contained 613 laws, and uh you talk about any document that has 613 commands, there's a lot to study there and a lot to apply to life. So the Pharisees and the law experts really committed themselves to that. Therefore, to society, the Pharisees and lawyers were like the religious experts who knew everything about what God wanted. So if you wanted to understand what God wanted you to do in life, where else would you go? Head over to the Pharisees and the lawyers because they'll break it down for you. To society, that's who they were. They were the religious experts that people could turn to. Who were they to God, though? Well, in a word, sinners. And uh, that's, you know, a bit disturbing. If you are going to these people, thinking that they're the ones who are going to effectively save you by giving you the commands that you are to do, they were going to lead you into the truth, it's a little disruptive to hear that, you know, God considers them to be sinners who don't have life in them. God views them as hypocrites, those who sought their own glory over and against His glory. They weren't pursuing the glory of God. They were pursuing their own glory. 
because in being law experts and being highly regarded in society, they could lift themselves up over and above everybody else. They could look down their nose at other people and really just, uh, you know, say that they've got it all going on and everyone else is worse than them. Perhaps you've known people like this. Have you met religious people like this? Who, uh, (laughs) they just look down their noses at everybody. So full of pride, eggheads, who just think they got it all going on, and they would say, look at my life. Look how put together I am. How could I not be accepted by God? Well, Jesus explains how they could not be accepted by God. Let me highlight three sins, though they all kind of run together, but three sins of the Pharisees and the law experts that we find in this passage. The first is that they placed the fear of man over the fear of God. You see in verse 39, Luke eleven thirty-nine, the Lord says to this man, a Pharisee, you Pharisees, and that's kind of like a loaded way of saying it, isn't it? Like maybe you've heard someone say, you people. It's like, whoa, what do you mean, you people? Well, here Jesus is saying, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, which is a metaphor here revealed in the next phrase, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. So the sin that is being described here is essentially a fear of man, that They are wanting people to think that they have their lives together, that they're approved by God, but really, on the inside, they're evil, wicked people. Why do sinful people seek to look good on the outside? Why is that? You ever wondered that? Someone who's rotten in his core, why does he seek to look good? like fresh fruit on the outside. Well, there's no fear of God in that person. That person is clearly just thinking carnally, only thinking about the earthly realm, only considering human relationships. There's no fear of God, no consideration of the divine, no consideration of the holiness of God. So that's why, because he wants to look good in his carnal relationships. But we do well to remember, right, that God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outside, it says in 1 Samuel, but God looks on the heart. And if someone doesn't have the, a fear of God, well, he's not going to be thinking about that. He's not going to take that into consideration. A second sin we can see in verse 42, where Jesus says, You pay your tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb. <laughs> now, maybe you're familiar with, uh, I believe it's Matthew's account, where it says mint and dill and cumin that they tithe. Well, here it's a little bit different. Mint, rue, every kind of garden herb. So they're going down in, through their pantry, out to their garden, getting everything that they have, tithing it. So taking a tenth of each. And they're doing that. Yet they, while doing this, disregard justice and the love of God. And I think, again, I think it's Matthew's gospel. Jesus says they deny the weightier matters of the law. And here it's described as justice and the love of God. Well, Jesus isn't condemning religious acts wholesale. You see here in this phrase, he says, 
These are things you should have done without neglecting the others. Okay, so he's not rejecting religious activity, uh, you know, as just like, don't ever do anything. He's not saying that at all. But he's saying, your priorities have gotten out of whack, isn't he? <laughs> he's calling out their priorities. He's saying, you know, you, you haven't taken into consideration the primacy of justice and love. Instead, you've skipped all that. You've done like this circumvention around the, the really important things, the most important things, so you can focus on what's easy to do. And what's easy to do is to give a tenth of your stuff. Now, someone might look at that and say, it's not easy to give 10% of your income or 10% of your possessions. That's not easy at all. Well, compare that to laying your life down for your friends. Greater love has no one than this, Jesus said, than one lays down his life for his friends. So, what's easier to do? Write a check or to give up your life? I think that answers the question. And so, Jesus here is saying uh, that they have neglected the most important things, and he goes on to say that basically they have a ministry of death. For you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. So they are unjust and unloving, and that can be described as being ministers of death. They are tombs, and they are not obvious tombs, which is interesting. He says they're like the concealed tombs, not just any tombs, but the concealed tombs, that there are people who walk over such tombs unaware of it. Uh, perhaps you've had that experience when you've been in a cemetery. I had uh, have a father who when I was growing up, was really particular about where I walked in the cemetery to show respect to where people were buried, that I wouldn't walk over a body. And uh, I have always thought about that because I was raised that way. Well, Jesus here is talking about concealed tombs and people walk all over, but they're unaware uh, that there are tombs there. And in the same way, there are people who turn to these Pharisees and these law experts thinking that they're the fountain of life because, look, they are just so religious, they're doing all these deeds. Yet because they are so unjust, unloving, they don't have godly sincerity, they don't have true faith, they're actually working a ministry of death that's wrapped in this really thin exterior of religious deeds that look good to everybody else. And people can't see past that thin exterior. If those people don't have the truth, like society in general— they don't have godly discernment. They see that thin exterior and say, wow, that's amazing. I, I, I stink, and these people are awesome. But remember, God looks on the heart, and so he sees past that flimsy outer shell, and inside there's robbery and wickedness, Jesus says. There's an unjust, unloving heart. There's death. It's a tomb in there. The casket may look really good, but it's still a casket. That's what Jesus is saying. And a third sin that we can highlight here in this passage is their rejection of the Word of God. And that's this last passage. <laughs> I love how it starts, too, in verse 45, where one of the lawyers says, Hey, Jesus, you're fending us. Uh, you're talking to the Pharisees, I, re I realize that, but we're getting hit with some of the shrapnel and we're offended. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. 
Verse 45, one of the lawyers said to him, teacher, when you say this, you're insulting us too. Sounds like so many people today, right, who just get insulted by everything. And Jesus says, oh, I'm sorry. Let's, let's go to a safe space and talk about it. Can I get you a juice box? No, he says, woe to you lawyers as well. Oh, goodness. And he says several things here, but he highlights these lawyers build the tombs of the prophets, and it was their fathers who killed them. So um, what he's saying here is that they are the sons, you know, gener- several generations removed, but they are the sons of those who didn't want to hear the prophets, and they showed that they didn't want to hear the prophets of God by killing the prophets. This comes up multiple times in the Bible, actually, where we see that the Israelites the Jews who were not true Jews. They were Jews externally and not inwardly. They were circumcised on the outside, but their hearts were not circumcised. Romans 2 talks about that. They killed their own prophets. Crazy. And he says, so because you build the tombs of the prophets and your fathers were the ones who killed them, you're witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers. It was they who killed them and you build their tombs. And so he's linking these two activities, the killing of the prophets and the building of the tombs, by saying you're involved in this similar activity of putting away God's prophets because you have a similar heart from generation to generation of just rejecting the truth of God, rejecting the truth you need to hear, rejecting the the rebuke from God that you should repent And instead, you love your sin so much that you kill the messenger, and you bury him. This generation's involved in making a fancy tomb to bury him and put him away. But Jesus here is saying they have the same heart as their fathers in that they reject the prophets that God had sent because they love their own sin. That's why, at the end of the day, people reject the Word of God, is because they love their own sin. Interestingly, in verse 51, he talks about those prophets who were killed from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Now, I just want to point out, this is really like a sub-point, but it's very interesting, that Jesus here is giving the bookends of the martyrs of the Hebrew Old Testament. Abel, of course, the very first martyr, and we read about that in Genesis. And Zechariah here is not Zechariah the prophet, but Zechariah the priest, and you can read about this at the end of 2 Chronicles, in 2 Chronicles 24. And 2 Chronicles was the last book of the Hebrew Old Testament. In the English, we've rearranged the books a bit. But 2 Chronicles was the last book there. And so he is not including, including anybody who was killed after Zechariah. So that silent period that existed from 400 BC to the birth of Jesus, where there were some books written known as the Apocrypha, 1st, 2nd Maccabees, 3rd and 4th Maccabees, uh, some other books that were written at that time. He's not including those in the Hebrew Old Testament here. I think that's really important and interesting. If you're talking to someone who says, well, what about all those things that were written between 400 B.C. and Jesus' birth? Aren't those Scripture too? The Roman Catholics obviously talk about this. Well, this is a place you can go. Uh, Also, it's in Matthew 23, 
where Jesus uses this terminology from Abel to Zechariah. He's putting bookends on the Hebrew Old Testament. Again, just a subpoint that I find interesting. But again, back to the uh, Pharisees and law keepers. It says here in verse 50 that uh, they are part of this generation, that the Pharisees and law keepers are part of this generation, or the law experts, rather. Now, this generation here isn't referring to the literal 40-year period. Sometimes that's what this generation means. But here, when Jesus uses it in verse 50, and again at the end of verse 51, he is saying that their fathers and them comprise this generation, those who killed the prophets and those who make tombs for the prophets. They're they're the same at heart and putting away God's rebuke, putting away God's messengers. They are this generation who's acting that way. And we find out in Matthew 24 that this generation will not pass away until the return of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so these types of people are going to be around. Uh, the These Jews who are Jews only outwardly and not inwardly, that generation is going to continue. Those who reject the Word of God, those who reject God's prophets and apostles, they're going to continue on. In fact, what you have at the end of uh, the time of Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble, is you have two-thirds of Israel being judged, and they're being judged because they continue to reject God. They put their hand up and say, no, we reject you, and they're going to be judged by God. Uh, just amazing that they could still reject him. Yet there will be many, many Israel Israelites who will be redeemed, uh, who will be brought into new covenant with God, and so all Israel will eventually be saved. Okay, But this generation is a rebellious generation, and uh, that's how Jesus describes them here. Instead of submitting to the prophets of God's word, they rejected the prophets of God's word. And uh, they in so doing, in this ministry, have taken away the key of knowledge by putting aside God's Word, suppressing God's Word, keeping it away from God's people. They have taken away the key of knowledge. They themselves didn't enter. It's not like they went in and said, we're going to keep it all for ourselves, not throw away the key. They didn't even go in. They didn't even enter into knowledge and wisdom because they're rejecting the Word of God, and their ministry is hindering other people too, not just hindering themselves, but hindering other people from entering into relationship with God. So if you're a part of a religion that focuses on external deeds while putting aside the Word of God, rejecting the key of knowledge, which is God's Word delivered through prophets and apostles, written, preserved in the Bible, so if you're you're part of a religion like that that says, don't worry about that, here, do these things, That's not good. That's not good. Jesus here says that's not the way it should be. There has to be truth and sincerity brought together, okay? So these three ways that I highlighted here, ways that they sinned, the Pharisees and law experts, they placed fear of man over fear of God. They, at heart, were ultimately unjust and unloving, and they rejected the Word of God. So what's the solution What's the solution for people who are Pharisees and law experts, however you want to think of them in the modern day? Well, you basically reverse those three points. Instead of placing fear of man over fear of God, you start by placing fear of God over fear of man. The fear of God, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of all wisdom and knowledge. It's not what you eventually get to 
as you're entertaining and growing in knowledge. No, the fear of God, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of understanding. So we are to cultivate in our hearts fear of God over fear of man. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, that we are not to fear someone who can kill the body but not the soul, but rather to fear the one who can crush both body and soul in hell. That is how we are to think of God and man. Keep that perspective going. Pharisees and law experts totally lost that perspective. We're only thinking carnally. We're only thinking about earthly relationships. Only feared man. They did not fear God. And we need to reverse this unjust and unloving stuff. And you can only do that if you have that heart of faith that has a fear of God, who appeals to to God for all instruction and knowledge. He will lead you in the truth, which does result in action, that there will be justice and love flowing from you as a result of fearing God in the truth. From From a heart of faith that fears God, you can pursue the love of Christ that is just so much more rich, so much more meaningful, and so much more important than external deeds. Because you could pursue external deeds all day long, and yet at the end of the day, you're still going to be unjust and unloving at heart. Well, you can be unified with God by faith and then have true justice and love flowing from the heart throughout your life. And then finally, instead of rejecting the Word of God, like the Pharisees and law experts, embrace the Word of God. Embrace the Bible. God has spoken. He is powerful enough to preserve it, and He wanted to preserve it, so He did. And so you have the Word of God available to you. Embrace it. And that will bring color to all these things we've been talking about and lead you into the truth, okay? Well, thanks for joining me today. Uh, So much to see all the time in every passage of the Bible, especially as we consider Jesus's teaching. So thanks uh, for being here, and any questions or thoughts you have, feel free to send them in. Hope this has been a blessing to you, and we'll see you next week, Lord willing. God bless.